Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Last week, we started our series of sermons leading up until Christmas. I think you guys know this, right? The Advent season. If you're not familiar with that term, it just basically means the, uh, the season leading up until Christmas. And so last week, we hit, uh, we hit hope. Um, we said that even in the darkest place, that there is hope. That biblically, that, that hope is there because of the person of Jesus. And, and we also said along the lines of like, this hope is something that can endure any kind of uh, hardship, that the, that the resources, that the foundation, that the source is there for that to, to withstand and for that to remain steady, even in the darkest times. Um, we further went on to say, well, we are, um, we are hope bringers for and into a dark world. And so uh, Jesus kind of being the person who goes before us calls us into being a people. And so as we follow Jesus, we, we are to be a people too who bring hope and who bring light into areas of darkness. And so, yeah, what we were talking about is at Christmas, part of what we celebrate is in the midst of darkness that light will come. We celebrate that there is always hope. And we dove into some verses. I guess I'm just giving a quick recap here. We dove into some verses that highlighted this hope. And so let's just go back quickly to one of those. And that's Isaiah 9 verse 2. And it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of great darkness, a light has dawned. And uh, this morning, yeah, we, we just read from Luke 1, uh, 26 to 38. So thank you, Van Marums. And that kind of fits nicely in there, right? You have, you have the angel and announcing to Mary that she's going to give birth to Jesus. And uh, I'm not going to read that again, but we can kind of uh, encapsulate that with verse 6 in Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, 9, and you're going to see me roll through a bunch of verses here. So let's do this. Doot, doot, doot. And you're going to have on the other end, um, or a couple of verses later in Isaiah, we're going to have, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince, of peace. So today, what we're doing basically is we're talking about, uh, we're transitioning out of hope. I mean, there'll still be hope and that's still there, but we're transitioning to talking about peace. Um, so we're moving away from this living in, in darkness, a great light has dawned, and we're moving to this Prince of Peace part. And we're saying, okay, well, what, what is peace? What does it mean that this child is going to bear the title Prince of Peace? And I mean, the corollary of that is, okay, well, um, and if this child, and if this was Jesus who bore the title Prince of Peace, what does that mean for us today? So I guess, yeah, wherever you're at, so maybe you're already a follower of Jesus. Yeah, please. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, this should be something that's definitely interesting to you and something that you're like, that's extremely relevant because this is about the birth of Jesus and about a title that he holds, right? And an understanding of why did he come? What, what is peace? Uh, how do we grow in our understanding of that? And I guess uh, maybe you're watching and uh, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not already there yet, or maybe you have some understanding of Christianity and, um, you know, and you just uh, aren't ready to make that kind of commitment, or maybe you're more skeptical. So wherever you're at, I think the, there's kind of a question here of like, does this mean anything for us today? Um, 
yeah, does this have application? What does this mean? What stands out about this? So I guess, um, yeah, what we're doing this morning is let's, let's talk and let's look and let's dig our way through this and let's kind of ask these questions. Uh, what is peace? What, what does this title, Prince of Peace, mean? And then what does that mean for us today? Okay, so let's, let's get into it, I suppose. So one of the... Yeah, so one of the things I think that we... One of the places where we want to start is um, probably with definitions. And this is whenever we're talking about anything. I think so much uh, miscommunication happens because uh, we use the same words and we mean different things by different words. And so two people are talking and they're using language and then other people kind of attach some baggage to that language or, or they have a different understanding of how the meaning works. And so we just like ships in the night, right? We just, we just pass each other. And... Um, so I think it's going to be helpful just to start with definitions here. Well, well what is peace, right? We, we already asked that question. And so let's just start just with a basic dictionary definition. Um, and this is just a Google search. And this is what that set Google search says. It says peace is tranquility, uh, contentment, freedom from disturbance. And it's going to say secondly that peace is when there is no war. Uh, so I think that's helpful. That's probably a good place to start. But there's an added consideration, right? I mean, the Bible has given Jesus this title of Prince of Peace. And if we're going to understand kind of everything that is meant biblically, or if we're going to understand if there's added pieces, we should probably at least uh, go to Scripture and see, okay, well, are there other things that the, that the Bible brings into this meaning? Are there other things that are being conveyed here? So, uh, without further ado, let's, yeah, let's do a little bit of word study here. Let's dive into the Bible and just in order to understand, yeah, what, is it, what does it say? What is it talking about when it means peace? Does it mean this or does it add certain pieces onto that? And so let's start with the Old Testament. And I'm just going to, just right out of the gate, I'm going to list my sources. I'm going to say um, the Bible Project is great and they do a great job on this. And I got a lot of stuff for this shalom out of their stuff. So I'm just, just listing my sources just so you know that they did a great job. But, so, shalom. And so, when you look through the Old Testament, shalom is going to be your primary word for peace. That, that's, that's almost interchangeable. That's really what it's talking about. Um, in, in the Bible, the word shalom, it can mean that dictionary definition of absence of war, but we find that it actually has something more. It doesn't just talk about the absence of something. In Scripture, shalom, there is, there's a presence of something better. It's not just the absence. There's actually a presence associated with it. And so you have the definition kind of expands, and it expands to include totality, completeness, success, fulfillment, wholeness, harmony, well-being. There's a sense of restored to wholeness. And so this word shalom, it's kind of, it's not just an anemic um, absence of war. There's actually like a thickness and a heaviness of meaning. It actually proposes something or it actually puts something forward. And biblically, shalom, and we can use that interchangeably with peace, a biblical peace, it operates on this idea that there's this cosmic order, right? It says that God has created everything. There's this order that God has created. And then everything and every person kind of finds its meaning and it finds its function as it conforms and as it fits into God's purpose. And so this word, you end up with this word meaning something like this is the realm that is completely ordered. This is the realm that is rightly ordered. Shalom 
is the place of right order and it's the place where chaos is not allowed to enter. It's a place where sickness, where war, social strife, um, all of these things are excluded because everything is in its right place. And so you have a concept of complete or whole, right? And so in the Old Testament, you have a stone and this stone is described as shalom. And you're like, oh, what? That stone is peaceful? And it's no, not quite peaceful. That stone is whole if it's shalom. It's, it doesn't have any cracks in it. It is, um, it is everything that that stone was meant to be. It is a good stone. Um, you have that said about a wall. And so you have a, a bunch of stones built into a wall. And if that wall is standing, and if that wall is solid, and if that wall is built as it's supposed to be, that wall is shalom. You have in here the concept of complexity with lots of pieces that fit into a state of wholeness. So you have in the book of Job, you have uh, Job's flocks are called shalom. And, and the idea is there is that um, there, there's no sheep missing. It's kind of overflowing. It's a state of wholeness. There is a wholeness of sheep. Um, shalom can refer to someone's well-being, right? Life is complex. Um, there's relationships with all manner of people and there's moving parts. And when a, one of those relationships is out of whack or out of order, or there's a brokenness there, it kind of, it, it breaks down uh, your shalom. It, it's no longer whole. There's a lack of wholeness. There's a, there's a need for restoration. And so to bring shalom means, because you can use it as a verb, it also means to restore. And so you find in 1 Kings, right? Uh, Solomon completes the temple. He shaloms the temple. He completes it. You have in Exodus, you have in the laws, if your animal goes and it ruins somebody's field, you're supposed to shalom that person. You're supposed to restore the damage done to the field by giving them financial compensation that's about equal. And you see the same is true about human relationships. You see that in Proverbs, that to heal a broken relationship is to make shalom. Uh, when rival kingdoms are, uh, when they make shalom, it's not just that they stop fighting each other, it's that they begin working with one another. They begin seeking the good of each other. And so a state of shalom, I think, is that's what Israel's kings were supposed to achieve. They were supposed to achieve a state of shalom, of restoration. That's what they were supposed to cultivate. And you have Isaiah reflecting on all the failures of these kings in, in the history of Israel. And you have him looking forward to a future king. And we just read this. He's looking forward to a prince of shalom, a prince of peace. Um, and this prince of shalom, his reign is going to bring shalom with no end. He's going to establish this covenant of shalom with his people, healing all wrongs, mending all that is broken. And so eventually what's going to happen is there's this era of peace that is going to encompass the entire world. And shalom, peace is going to be the mark of this awaited kingdom of God. There will be one who will be born, who will be the prince of shalom, the prince of peace, the prince of restoration. And so we can move from the Old Testament, we move towards the New Testament. And uh, here, shalom is kind of interspersed with the Greek word irene. And so you have Jesus' birth announced by the angels, right? Peace on earth. Irene on earth. Um, you have Jesus speaking. He's come to offer his peace to others. He says, my peace I give to you. Um, the apostles, they say, Jesus made 
Irene, Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God. Um, he restored the wholeness. He restored the relationship that was broken between humans and their creator. You have Paul calling Jesus in Ephesians. He calls Jesus our Irene. He, Jesus is our peace. Um, he's the one by which it is possible for us to be restored. And uh, similarly with hope, we now have us being called as a people uh, to be a people of peace. I mean, as we follow Jesus, right, that's part of what being a Christian means, to be called after the name of Christ, to follow Jesus, that we're called to be people of peace. We're called to be people of shalom and of arene. We're called to be people of restoration. People bringing broken things back to the place where they're supposed to be. Um, and we see this in Jesus. And in Jesus, we see the image of God. And we see that God is a God of peace. God is a God of restoration and wholeness. And kind of just taking these in summary, right? The Old Testament, the New Testament, we kind of see this together. That true peace is taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness. And so that's true on our personal level, it's true on a corporate level, it's true on a national level, it's true of our relationship vertically with God, horizontally with other people. True peace is taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness. And so what I, what I just want to do now is, so I think that's a helpful probably like overview. You know, that's a, that's a bunch of scriptures and that's a bunch of, that's a kind of a definition kind of taken from a bunch of scriptures. But what I want to do is kind of just reflect on the concept of peace. And I think it's helpful if we're asking what is peace, I think it's helpful to kind of break it down into three things. So I just want to deep dive on kind of like three chief elements to peace. And so I guess first we want to say, okay, because if we're asking the question, like what is peace? Let's understand this first before we, I mean, before we can become people of peace, we have to just have an understanding of what it means. What does that look like? And, and firstly, I think that peace probably has this as like a chief, when it's used in scripture, it has this as like a chief meaning, right? It means uh, peace is, it's renewed and it's restored relationship with God. If you've been in the church a long time, or if you, you know, if you study theology or something, that's going to have, that's going to be the word salvation, right? This renewed, this restored relationship with God. So when we talk about peace in this context, we're talking about how it, Peace is the end result of everything that Jesus has accomplished in bringing us back into relationship with God. And so Jesus has kind of brought about this end result, right? Where we're no longer separated from God, but we have peace. We have shalom. We have restored relationship with God. And if you will, this is kind of the vertical, focusing on this is kind of the vertical uh, peace relationship. And just the kind of a background here in order to understand, right? The Bible holds that there is a problem with this world. And I think that if you're alive and breathing and paying attention to any of the words I'm saying, that you probably don't have a problem with this. I think this is something that most of us recognize, right? We can kind of all start the conversation here. We know that there is something wrong with this world. We know that there is brokenness. We know that there is pain. And we try to figure out what that pain and what that brokenness is, because most of us feel like we should be people who bring restoration. We should be people who uh, who fight against evil, who push back against evil, who bring justice. We should be a people that want that. And I think, I mean, inside the church, outside of the church, I think that's just something human. We feel this, there is something wrong and we need to do something about it. And, and so many people, I, I mean, and then we ask these questions. We're like, okay, well, is it this attitude 
that is wrong with the world. We're looking for something wrong with the world. Maybe it's this belief that's wrong with the world. Maybe, you know, maybe it's religion that poisons everything, right? Thank you, Christopher Hitchens. Maybe that's what's wrong with the world. Uh, maybe it's this people group that is wrong with the world. But, but we look for what's wrong with the world and the whole time that we're looking, our, si- our soul cries out that something is wrong. Something is broken. We know that there is wrongness. We know that there is evil. We know that there is brokenness. We know that there is pain. Even if we can't identify the causes, we know that there's something wrong and we strive and we try to fix it. And it's here in that place of common humanness that scripture speaks to us, right? And it offers us a hypothesis. And it says, what you are looking for is pernicious. And what you are looking for is hard to nail down. And it's hard for us to find what's wrong in the world. And it's hard for us to fix it, even though the the tangible sense of wrongness is so clear to us. And, And scripture says, Probably why that's so hard, even though it feels so real, is because the problem is, in some sense, not just exterior to you. The problem with the world is inside of us, as well as outside of us, right? And so scripture is going to say, all have sinned. Um, All have turned away from God. All of us even as we try to fight wickedness, even as we try to fight evil, even as we try to push back darkness, even as we try to bring hope, we find that we are actually perpetrators ourselves. Like we ourselves are actually causes of darkness and pain and lies and hurt. And that this thing is not just exterior to ourself, right? Um, I can't say his last name, but Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in the Gulag Archipelago says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states. The problem is not Russia. The problem is not this other country. The problem is not North Korea, um, nor between classes. The problem is not the bourgeoisie, right? Or the proletariat or uh, these other class distinctions, um, nor between political parties either. The problem is not the right. The problem is not the left. Um, the line separating good and evil goes right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And he's echoing what scripture would say there. The problem with the world is found inside of our hearts. And until we can fix the heart, we are only treating the symptoms and we are not treating the disease itself. If we only treat the symptoms, even as we try to treat the symptoms, we are creating more symptoms. Our hearts themselves are disordered. Our hearts themselves need to be fixed. They need to be shalomed. They need to be restored. And until they're fixed, they will not be in tune. And until our hearts are fixed, they're going to create, even as we seek to reduce the evil in the world, even as we seek to move forward, they are going to be leaving a trail of discord, a trail of pain, of hurt, of lashing out at our friends and our loved ones and the people that we care about. Even as we seek to reduce darkness in the world, we're going to be perpetrating evil. Scripture says, look, until you make your hearts right, until your hearts are shalomed, until they're restored, we will not be at peace. 
Um, We will not be at peace because we are not operating as we are supposed to be. We will not be at peace because we are actually running away from God instead of towards him. We will not be at peace because we are positioned as enemies of God, chasing after evil, multiplying hurt, multiplying pain in this world. Scripture says our disordered hearts are the problem. And what we need is the reordering. What we need is the restoring. What we need is the shaloming of our hearts. We need to be changed. We need to be made right. Um, We need to be shalomed in order to desire what is good, to desire what is right, to desire what is beautiful. And we actually need the power to carry that out. We need to be restored, to live the way that we were created to live. And the Bible is going to specify that the way that we are created to live is in loving relationship with God himself. A heart that is shalomed is restored to right relationship with God. And so Jesus is going to say to his disciples, right? He's going to say, peace, shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give to you. My restoration, I give to you. And he can say that. And he can give their hearts peace because he has the power to restore them. And and he's the only one, being God, who has the power to change our hearts Um, who has the power to bring them back to a place of restored relationship with God. He, right, being the one who shaped us and formed us, the one who upholds the world by the word of his power. I'm just citing other scriptures here. He knows what our hearts are to be like. He knows that the way that we're supposed to be. And so he alone can take our hearts and put them back together again. He alone can take them and shalom them. He alone can take these separate stones and build it into that wall He can make them the way that they were always supposed to be. He can make them to love beauty, to love goodness, to love justice, to love hope, to love and to pursue God and righteousness and goodness. And as we pursue it, not to leave a trail of destruction in our wake. He can reach into our lives and he can make us a new people, a people who want what is good, whole, right, a people of hope and a people of peace, a people of shalom. And, uh, oh, Well, I didn't give you, oh, I guess here we go. Nope, this is right. We're in the right order with the slides. So there's more here. And so we'll go a little bit more. Um, Peace is also wholeness. Biblical peace, and we've said this already, and we kind of touched on this, but it's so much more than just absence of war and strife, right? Peace is not the absence of something. Peace, shalom, is actually the presence of something. It is completeness, wholeness, success, fulfillment, harmony security, well-being. Peace, shalom is everything that we were meant to be. To grow in peace is to grow in completeness and it's to grow in wholeness. It's to grow in peace is to grow into what it means to be fully human. And so Jesus being the prince of restoration, being the prince of peace means he is the one who is bringing wholeness. He is the one who is bringing restoration. He's the one who is making us everything that we are meant to be. And so Jesus is the one in whom, if we come to him, and these are his words, not necessarily mine, in him we find full joy. In him we find full completeness. In him we find everything that we are meant to be. In him our hearts have been made right. And in him we have freedom from chains. Uh, We have the breaking of of powers that, that were over us. And we have the experiencing life the way that it was meant to be lived. And so peace 
is rightness and, re- and relationship with God, but the effects of that actually echo down, right? The effects of that righteousness or that rightness with God in a vertical relationship trickle down. And so it trickles down into every area of our life, right? And so peace and rightness with God, loving what he loves, walking with him results in a complete changing of our horizontal relationships as well. Rightness with God is living life the way that it was meant to be. Rightness with God is a path that leads us into all joy, fulfillment, completeness, and true humanness. And so peace is wholeness. As we live for what we're created for, in the way that we're created, um, we become more and more rightly ordered. Peace takes a deeper root in us. We continue to move closer and closer to full shalom. And so it's true right? That was the first point. It's true that biblically that peace is right relationship with God, but that then results in wholeness on a horizontal level as well. And so it trickles down. Okay. So I've got one more point here. Peace is also experiential. Okay. Um, My purpose in highlighting this last piece, because this Yeah, my purpose in highlighting this last piece is kind of just a reflection a little bit on the nature of peace. So we can, we can talk about the objective realities of things, right? So I can say, here's peace, here's a definition of peace, here's what peace means. Um, And so there's kind of, here, I'll give you a word picture, okay? So there's a balcony and you're overlooking this path that goes up a mountain, right? It's, It's a nice view. It looks really good. And so you're standing on this balcony. And so this is the objective level. From here, you can kind of see the path. And so you can see that twist and you can see that turn. And you're like, oh, that place looks kind of steep. And like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. That part looks dangerous. And so there's a way in which we can stand on this balcony view and we can kind of have a view of peace and we can say, oh, this is what it means. This is what it looks like. But then there's a different perspective. And that perspective is the one of actually walking or hiking the path. That's, that's the one of actually experiencing it. And so we can talk about what peace means on a large scale, but I think that there's something extremely important about talking what pe- of talking about what peace is experientially as well. And so here, what I'm going to try to do just right here is I just kind of want to enter into the race or enter into the hike um, and speak in a way that maybe brings this into our experience a little bit more. So when I look into my own heart, and I I don't know about you, right? I can only assume that I'm not this, because I don't have your experience, I can only uh, assume that I'm not a complete outlier. And I think that this is probably true. So I can take my own experience and I can reflect it on people and hopefully that that's helpful. But when I look into my own heart, I feel uh, a sense of restlessness. There's this current of restlessness that exists there. I mean, they're striving, right? It's like I'm, I'm looking for something. And I'm, I'm so often looking and looking for something. And then contrasted with this restlessness and with this looking and this undercurrent of restlessness, there's times when I find a sense of peace. Or there's times when I, I feel a sense of rightness. And those times of rightness, they don't go on indefinitely, right? They eventually pass. And my heart kind of reverts to this original state. And it's like this original state of restlessness. And I guess in my own experience, this restlessness, it moves me towards busyness, right? And this restlessness, this is when I lose 
Um, this is when I lose myself in binge reading a, a novel, right? I have a day off and I'm like, I, I, I've been busy and my heart has been all over the place and I need to just read this book. And so I sit and I read this book almost to the exclusion of everything else. And I reach the end and I realize that I'm not actually satisfied, but my heart has like, somehow my heart drove me to pursue this thing that doesn't actually answer the need that I have. And I actually end up more dissatisfied or more tired at the end of that than I would maybe if I had done something else. But it's like this restlessness that has drove me to that point, right? Restlessness is when I spend most of my day looking forward to something. And maybe it's something tomorrow, or maybe it's something Friday night, or maybe it's something three weeks from now. And I'm looking forward to this thing. And that looking forward to the thing causes a dissatisfaction in the present. And it causes a dissatisfaction in the things that I'm actually doing. Um, and I lose sight of the good things in the present. Um, this restlessness, it's when I go to bed and I just don't feel like sleeping and I scroll through Facebook and I don't really know what I'm looking for. I just know that I'm looking. I just know that there's a looking for something. Um, and there's this undercurrent of restlessness. And I haven't lived your life. I'm only uh, what's that word? I'm, I'm putting this on you. So I'm taking my experience and I'm saying, oh, other people probably experience this too. Um, but I think that just generally, if we're going to generalize that, I think that there is a current of restlessness in our hearts. I think there's something going on with the human condition that promotes dissatisfaction with the present and something that just longs for more. And so we look and we look and not even, we don't even know what it is that we're looking for, but we look and we look and we just never seem to find what it is that we're looking for. Or if we do find something, the satisfaction with that thing doesn't last very long. I mean, it seems like uh, given enough time and left to ourselves, we know that our hearts will drift and we'll begin to look uh, for something else, no matter what it is that we have in the present. It seems like there's this cry in our hearts for more. There's this restless current of dissatisfaction that whispers, uh, there is more. There's got to be more. There's something else. And um, maybe I'll leave that there. So that's the current of dissatisfaction. At least that's been my experience. Um, and I think that, I think I've experienced peace too. And I think those moments of peace experientially, right? This is on the path. I think those moments of peace are those rare moments when we find ourselves kind of like fully engaged or we find ourselves like fully present in a moment. Like, uh, you know, I'm sitting at a coffee shop and I'm struck by the beauty of the world and I'm struck by the beauty of the moment and I'm struck by remembrance and thankfulness for all the blessings that I have. You know, it's a moment when we know that we're participating in something that's good. Uh, and it's more than just good. It somehow seems right. It somehow seems ordered. Um, it's in these moments that there's rightness, there's wholeness, there's completeness, there's success. And I really think that these moments are kind of a taste of shalom. I think that these moments, those moments when we're struck by beauty, I think that's a taste of the presence of God. I think that's a taste of true peace. And the promise that we're reminded of at Christmas is that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? He's the Prince of Restoration. He's the one who makes peace possible. That first point, right? He makes, us, makes it possible for us to be at peace with God and to be in relationship with Him. You know, that theological word being salvation, right relationship with God. That second point, I think He makes it possible for us to enter into fullness of peace, fullness and completeness of what it means to be human. And then I think in an experiential sense, 
I think that Jesus really is the locus of what our hearts long for. I think that he answers the current of restlessness that flows in our hearts that can't be satisfied in any other way. And then I think that when we, when we truly know Jesus and when we pursue him and when we're digging into him, I think these truths, I think they sink, they sink deeper and deeper into us, right? And I th- actually think that current of dissatisfaction slows and maybe it eventually disappears as we kind of are suffused in uh, perfect and, and complete peace. And um, yeah, as I say all of these things, uh, I'm having an imaginary conversation with someone in my head, okay? And as I talk with this person, I'm talking all about peace. And I'm like, hey, this is peace. This is great. Isn't this so happy? Um, Christmas is peace. Christmas is hope. Christmas is peace. Christmas is all of these things. And um, I'm picturing someone interacting with what I'm saying. Um, and I'm picturing them saying, look, that's great, Matt, but I, I don't feel peace. All I feel is this raging current and torrent of dissatisfaction that threatens to drown me. I don't, you talk about peace, but talk is cheap and I don't feel it. Um, And how do I know that what you're saying is real if I don't really feel it? So I just want to dwell on this question and then we'll finish. Um, And I actually think the response to this question, I mean, first of all, I guess I would say, I think this is a really good question. I think that, you know, if things are real and true and good, I think we should experience them. Um, I think that's, you know, it probably goes hand in hand. It should line up with our experience. And I think that actually, I think the response is similar. Whether this person is someone who follows Jesus already or is someone who may be more skeptical, I think this is probably true for, for both people. Um, and I'll preface this by saying um, a compassionate response is probably going to involve a lot more listening and a lot more talking than what I'm going to do. But um, if I was to do a lot of listening right now, you guys would probably uh, close the window, right? That's probably what would happen. So I'm just going to do the talking part, not the listening part. Um, I think I would first say, I think that current of dissatisfaction, I think that makes sense. I think that it is, it is true that we live in a broken world. And I, even though I think that we're contributors to that broken world, I think that even if we are made perfect, and I'm not perfect, and even if we stopped being contributors to that, right? Even if we had perfect peace and we were perfectly restored and we no longer did any, caused any kind of pain, I think it's still true that there would be pain exterior to us. There would still be brokenness around us. We'd still live in this world that is broken. So I guess I just want to point to the reality of, yeah, I think that we will experience brokenness. I think that we won't experience perfect peace, even if we're perfect, that people around us, there's going to be brokenness, there's going to be pain, there's going to be hurt. Um, and I think I'd probably start by saying, look, I think that we have a responsibility for ourselves um, and we can move ourselves in the right direction. And then from there, I think we encourage other people to move towards beauty and wholeness and goodness. And we try to persuade and encourage people to do that. But I think that we ultimately don't have control over anyone except ourselves. And from there, I think that all I can do after that, I think, is act as a mouthpiece and a witness. And hopefully with sincerity, right? And hopefully not um, aimed at any other goal than that person's good. And um, I think it's not going to be helpful for me to just dogmatically assert, no, there is peace, even if you don't feel it. Like, it is the fact. And they're like, I don't feel it. And you're like, it is it. Just believe it. I don't think that's going to be helpful. But I think all I can do is the witness part is, I think, uh, or sorry, the... um, mouthpiece part is echo the words of Jesus. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I guess I, I guess I'd say Jesus invites us into peace. 
And I guess it's for us to explore that promise, right? I mean, in some sense, I can, I can kind of lead, point people towards Jesus and, and then it's kind of on that level, it's between Jesus and it's up to him to act and him to convince and him to show up and him to be real and him to actually deliver and rescue and bring peace. But he invites us into that peace. And so it's now up to us to like, hey, let's explore that promise. Let's explore that together as much as we can. I'm here, I'm listening. Let's taste and see whether this is right. And, and let's pray together for this. And maybe that looks like a little bit more peace than there was before. And if so, I think that's something that we can kind of take. And that, that, that's something. And maybe we can go deeper. And maybe deeper leads us into more peace. And I think the only other thing I can do is witness. And I think I can say sincerely, I think that this, I found this to be true. I think that Jesus really is um, peace. The closer that I get to Jesus, the less strong that current of restlessness in my own heart is. And the more peace I think that I've found and I experience. And I think I experience this not because it's placebo. I think I experience this because it's true and it's real. Um, yeah, so let's maybe, let's wrap this up. Um, and I think I just want to end this talk by placing the same invitation before us today. Right at Christmas, we celebrate what we read in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I guess I just echo that and say Jesus calls us into peace with God. He calls us into restoration. He calls us into fullness. He calls us into fullness and completeness with each other. He calls us into all that it means to be human. And he calls us to really be a people of peace, experiencing this, and then carrying that peace with us um, into, a, into a world of restlessness, and into a world that lacks peace, into a world of anxiety and fear. And so I guess from here, I think we just uh, dig into that and talk about it and explore it together. So maybe if you want to pray with me. Yeah, Father, we just, um, we just pray for your peace. And um, I want to pray for um, anybody who's watching this or listening to this that maybe is not experiencing peace. Maybe they're experiencing just restlessness and uh, they're experiencing just a, yeah, their experience is not one of peace and not one of knowing you. And I pray in this moment that you would hold them. I pray in this moment that they would feel something that it would be experiential, that it would be a meeting with you. I pray in this moment that you would hold them, that you would remind them that, you're, that they are loved, that you would remind them that you are calling them towards uh, restoration. You are calling them towards completeness. And would you just, I mean, I guess I want to say the word hug. Um, would you hold them? Would you comfort them? Would you show them that they're real, that you're real? Um, yeah, and... Uh, I guess we just pray for all of us, Father. Draw us deeper into your peace. Continue to change our minds. Continue to change our hearts. And make us agents of peace. People who go forth into a world of anxiety and fear. Uh, bringing your peace. Bringing your restoration as we follow in your footsteps. Yeah, we love you and just pray for your presence, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.